0: For me, I always feel in, in big moments, in moments you know, like this, I'm, I'm going to do something. I don't know whether it's a header, whether it's um, anything, you know, and uh, I always feel like I'm going to do something. And, I don't know, and today was a little bit of frustration because everyone's saying, you know, don't shoot, don't shoot, I could really hear it. And it was annoying me and I said, hold on a second, I've not come this far in my ca- career for, for young players to tell me whether I can take a shot or not, and I just took it. <laughs>
1: Hey guys, welcome to yet another episode of Pandit Three Hundred Point, where a couple of average blokes are having above-average football conversations. Joining me on the podcast today is Vaishnav, Akshat, and Po. And let's get straight into it, guys. Today we're going to answer a question, and it's going to be a debate: Is football a simple sport that is being overly complicated? Um, now we've seen a drastic change in how the game has been is being played since the past ten, fifteen years or so, with everything that everything has to do with big data analytics. You're boiling it down to one single number, one single digit to see if a player is performing well or not. And we're not only seeing data in terms of recruitment, but also in terms of uh, match sharpness, training, etc, etc. It's all run by numbers, right? And um, the question that I want to ask is that, I mean, is it really required? Or is football just 11 people trying to score more goals than the rest, the other 11 people? And uh, I want to bring Vaishnav into this conversation first because he has a few Statistics that he found extremely helpful to talk about.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, that's a super valid point, man. Football, I feel like it's the beautiful game because it's pretty simple. I mean, you don't have multiple scoring methods. You have one. The ball has to cross the line and that's all that matters. It's pretty simple. I forget who it is. I think it's Bill Shankly or one of these legendary coaches who said... I mean, I forget what he said exactly, but it's a lot of profanity. And he said something to the effect of, you know, tactics are pretty useless. All that is tried and tested and factual is the fact that the ball is round, the pitch is rectangular, and everything else is bullshit. You know, everything else is noise. So, I mean, that is one school of thought. But, I mean, football is a business. And businesses are run by numbers. And at least for me, if used well, they're super, super effective. And I think we've been seeing that as we go through. I mean... As fans looking in, more and more numbers are being used to describe things that we would just see in highlight reels before, like possession stats, distance of running stats, pass completion stats, which is a, it's a big pet peeve of mine, rating a midfielder by his pass percentage completed. It's a, it just says a lot of different stuff that people might not infer from it prima facie. So that for me, that is a big deal. Using stats is all well and good because it does mean something. They definitely have a place. But I don't think the main media are packaging football stats well enough to be able to use stuff like XG, XA, pass completion. And for fans, you know, it, it's becoming a point wherein it's super pretentious, where you're just wanting to quote these stats and saying, yeah, dude, the XG was actually 1.3, man. Insane, that's so cool. And you're not really understanding why you're using these stats or why they're being spoken about. So I feel like the media should be... I mean, obviously, they want to put these numbers out there because it's more production value around the sport because they're trying to build a narrative, right? It's not about just that game. It's a big thing. You know, this team hasn't won this stadium in this tournament for the past 30 years. What's going to happen today? It's like a narrative, right? So you want to have numbers around that. That's characters of the story. But I also feel that it's really important for us to have character depth for a lack of a better analogy. So I want to know what XG means. I don't want to just be looking at a number with... Absolutely no context, right? The same thing with everything else. So like what I was saying about pass completion, just because you have a higher pass completion does not mean you're a better passer of the football, right? If I'm a centre-back and I'm only passing sideways and back, I'm going to have almost a 95% pass completion. But what does that say? I'm not a Kevin De Bruyne or Lionel Messi or Bruno Fernandes who probably doesn't have that higher pass completion in comparison. But that's because they're playing vertical passes. They're playing the hardest passes, right? So I mean, this sort of stuff. So another thing of mine is possession stats the goal of the game isn't to keep the ball. The goal of the game is to score a goal. So you having 70% of the ball, as United fans, we know this. LVG taught us this all too well. Like it doesn't matter if you have the ball. You need to score a goal. That's all that matters. But then possession can also be a very useful indicator of how a team plays, right? If you see where they're keeping their ball in their possession, are they keeping it in the middle third, the last third, or their own third? You know, it says a lot about how the team plays its football. So I think stats are super useful, but they can also be glorified to... An unnecessary extent, you know, just because they're another sort of garnish to put on top the final dish.
1: Um, Just uh, just to add on to this point a little bit, Vaishnav, can you explain to uh, our listeners and how some teams or some coaches might be using uh, the stats in relevant matters for either their training drills or for their tactics in the game?
2: Right. So uh, we we were talking about this before the pod, right? So you want to use statistics in context. Now in any business operation, you use statistics in context, right? You understand consumer patterns. You understand these things in context. It's not just a vacuum. You just don't, you don't care about the number. The number has no value in itself. So this is like what we were discussing before, where in XG, which is one of the sexiest stats in football, right? It's like the babe and it's thrown around everywhere. Wherein if you give any decent football, man or woman, if you give them a spreadsheet with 10 names on it, with just numbered, you know, XG values from highest to lowest, he's not going to pick the one with the highest value just arbitrarily without the i test, right? Because the i test is as big a deal as statistics are. Instead, what that shows him is that, you know, on a scale of one to 10, with these players as context this guy probably gets into better positions to score than this guy, like higher up the ladder than as opposed to lower. So for example, if uh, Roberto Firmino has an average XG of like 0.7 a game, which might not say much, but for example, let's maybe take a striker who maybe a Chris Wood right in Burnley. I mean, we try to shit on them a lot, but he's going to have a high XG because he's competing for relatively easier chances because they're playing very vertical football, right? Roberto Firmino might not as much because they're playing super transition heavy and, you know, you know football that's backed on supreme technical ability as opposed to sort of, you know, hoof it up there and hope. So XG is one stat that is used like this all the time. Another statistic is XA. But other stats that are super cool for like where players make their passes. So we have player heat maps. But to see the heat map in terms of how the player is making his passes. So you know a lot of things about a player without having to watch the game which I feel is a big deal, especially for clubs that are going through tens of thousands of players a day in terms of statistical database, right? You won't have a method to filter. If this guy is playing seven out of ten of his passes sideways, I maybe don't want him as my single pivot point who I want as a transition, you know, the person who's playing the ball forward. So stuff like that, I feel, is a big deal. Right.
1: Um, I want to bring Poe into this conversation now. uh, Poe, going on the topic of of XG's... um and statistical data. So, I'm a manager. Supposing uh, I'm and I have two centre-forward choices, which are Lacazette and Aubameyang. Would I make my decision based on their XG, on who's getting into better scoring positions and then play them accordingly over there up front? What do you think?
0: I think so. Like, you can use these statistics as tools, right? Like, just like how you guys mentioned it. So, depending on... Looking at the stats, you can probably figure out that Lacazette drops a bit deeper and then he gets his... Scoring chances from a little from not right in the box, not like six yards away from the goal, but a little deeper. So maybe you can file say that he can play in as a second striker and have Auburn running in between the defenders. You can make slight tactical tweaks, but then I don't think you should solely base your tactical tweaks entirely on statistics itself, unless you know how to interpret them properly. So I think this is just the tool that aids aids you in deciding these things, but not, like, I don't think it should make the decision for itself. And, okay, why I wanted to speak was because I had a follow-up question to what you, like, what you guys were talking about. Uh, You guys mentioned that these managers and teams have so many statistics and tools nowadays. Uh, We saw this with last weekend's game where the entire top six uh, didn't, like, all of them drop points, right? And you see that, like, now, like, especially this year, you can see Teams are harder to break down. It it feels like managers are using, like, with so much at their disposal, it seems that football, like the whole uh, beautiful game part of football is getting lost because everything's so drilled in and you find that every single aspect of the game is looked at and scrutinized that. You think that we are going too deep and too comp- making the game too complex? What do you guys thoughts on the
3: so, um, uh, I'd like to pitch in your poll because there was a very similar moment in another sport, which is basketball and in general, American sports have been the ones to kind of use analytics or bring in analytics much before other sports and in basketball, there was one idea which literally changed the way basketball is played and you can't recognize the sport, the way it was played, it's played now versus what it was 15 years back. And it's very simple. It's that you will score more points if you hit 30% of your threes, rather than 40% of your twos, and that today, the the game of basketball has changed for perimeter shooting versus what it is, uh, what it used to be before. Um, I personally don't think because as Vaishnav said in football, there is just one way to score a goal, right? And that is to, to score points, just to score a goal, right? Um, so I personally don't think we're going to see a paradigm shift in terms of the way we play. I think um, what we're seeing this season in terms of um, the table being a lot closer and the games being a lot more competitive are down to other factors not necessarily because of the whole uh, data revolution I mean obviously it has helped in the way teams are setting up but uh, and to a large extent I'm, I'm not trying to diminish the impact it has had in the game but the the whole paradigm shift which we saw in basketball or some other sports is not what I expect uh, in football also I'd like to add like I mean we, we were speaking about you know um, how we're super reductive in the way we judge a team, the way the team plays based on the the statistics, right? And if you go a little bit in, in the past, you would, I'd say, gauge the quality of a team's performance based on possession, right? So if one team had more possession, that team played better. I mean, uh, that's what the general impression was. Uh, then we spoke about teams are just keeping possession and not doing anything with possession, right? So then the, pos- the, the focused kind of shifted to which team had more shots on target because, okay, if you, if you have shots on target, then that means definitely you've been uh, playing better with the ball, right? Then XG came and we're like, okay, people can be shooting as much as they want, but if they're shooting from non-dangerous position, that doesn't matter. So now XG is the latest craze, right? But even in XG, right, I, I it's tough to say which team played better because they created the better chances because... Let's take a very simple example of, of Spurs versus City, right? Which is the recent example which everyone loves giving um, for XG. Um, um, City had a much higher XG than Spurs, but since Spurs scored first, they don't need to create another chance the entire game as long as they're ahead. right? So the way the team played is reflective of the game situation. So obviously they're not going to have a high, as high an XG and they shouldn't aim to have ha- as high an XG. Their aim is to defend for the rest of the game, right? So, um, there are teams which, once they go ahead, they don't go looking for other goals. Uh, and then, obviously, the other team has more opportunities to have a higher XG than that team. So, even now, I mean, even though XG is the in thing, and right now, I mean, that is being used by a lot of people. And, and to be fair, with by clubs themselves to analyze their performance in the game. But it's important for us to realize that there's never going to be one statistic which tells us, how good a team has played. It's, it's always relative to the game positions and the tactics or what the manager wants to see from the team. So yeah, we've got to be a little bit careful, you know, whenever we kind of hype up any one statistic, but um, when you come to the big picture, that's just the overall um, statistical analysis and analytics behind football, then yeah, then obviously when you get everything into account, that, that is where you can see the real value which comes.
1: Um, actually, very interesting that you use these words uh, when you compared uh, basketball to football, and you said you won't see that big of a paradigm shift as what we saw in even baseball, for that matter, in American baseball. Um, but uh, just to put it in some perspective, hasn't there been already such a huge shift? I mean, if uh you roll back a few years, uh, uh Sir Alex's last uh, season at Man United when we played uh, Real Madrid in the in the quarterfinals, right? Um. I remember him starting Welbeck at the Bernabeu ahead of Wayne Rooney. And uh, do you ever think there was a conversation in the dressing room between the analytical uh, team, the coaches and Sir Alex saying that I don't think you should start Welbeck because he has a lower XG than Wayne Rooney. Um, Was that ever a factor? Sorry to bring this up again, but uh, the 8 2 Arsenal game, if you'd seen the United midfield at that time, you would have been shocked. I mean... It, I think it comprised of Tom cleverly Darren Fletcher and uh, Anderson Anderson yes yep. Anderson yes so d- d- do you think uh, XG was really considered at that point of time and aren't we already seeing such a big shift now
3: um so so again i I would say that uh, I won't say there is not going to be a paradigm shift in football but I don't believe that it's brought about solely by the use of analytics and stats. The way it has been by basketball. That, that's I think that's a more clear way to put it.
0: Okay. So, Ahmad, I mean, you may have the best like best people working on your analytics side and statistics side for your team, but it won't matter unless your manager is willing to use it or your like board is willing to use those data. And take the, I mean, even if they look at the data, unless they interpret it in the right way and then try to take the advice offered to them, it won't matter. Like, even if you have the best person, and I don't think it's right to bring Sir Alex here because he is like the manager, the typical mold of a manager, which is like ages ago. And I think managers nowadays are completely different than that.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, the paradigm shift might not be visible on the pitch. But definitely, the parad- there is a paradigm shift in the way that uh, recruitment is done, scouting is done, uh, player performance um, is measured, uh, youth development, um, player management. All, all- this is where the paradigm shift has already happened and will continue to happen. So, um, yeah, maybe not too much on the tactical side of things because I think that is something which is always going to be uh, based on the managers and in response to what they're seeing from other teams. But, yeah, in these fields, definitely there already has been that paradigm shift.
1: Yeah, talking about uh, uh, recruitment, uh, I think the best example that we can have is Liverpool, right? I mean, their recruitment strategy has changed so drastically, um, so quickly, and we are already seeing the results um, that are coming in. Akshat, I think you wanted to speak a little bit about their recruitment strategy, right? On what they do and how they do it. Yeah, I mean... um... So see, I mean, I think the most uh, easiest example
3: to give um, on on how analytics has changed football is recruitment, right? Because scouting is not an easy thing to do. I mean, as a big club, you're you're supposed to have your eyes and ears on some kid playing in Japan and, you know, whether he's worth signing or whether it makes more sense signing him than a 50 million pound proven player in the Bundesliga. I mean, those are literally the kind of decisions which a scouting department has to make. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Liverpool is, is one really good example. And um, I think Poe made that really good point that um, the owners and the managers have to be willing to accept that. So, I mean, Liverpool, we all know about the FSG, right? And I'm sure pretty much all of us have seen Moneyball. And in Moneyball, towards the end of the movie, uh, Boston Red Sox tried to hire Billy Bean. And Boston Red Sox are owned by FSG, who own Liverpool right now. So, you can definitely see that this is something which is coming from the very top, right? Right. But um, Liverpool, they are doing it differently because at most, right, most clubs right now either have an external um, company doing their analytics for them or Max, they have like one or two analysts in their club. Whereas Liverpool have uh, four different analysts right now who two of them have PhDs in physics, one in astronomy and one's like a statistical statistical researcher. And um, these guys are really, the the, the way they uh, hire is... Purely based on performance metrics, whereas other clubs look a lot into the transfer market value. Liverpool really look at player metrics and we've spoken time and time again on this podcast of how every signing which Liverpool does somehow fits beautifully into the system and beautifully into the way Klopp wants to play. And that's not a fluke. That is not... Um, even, you know, Jürgen Klopp saying that I want a player who's pressing. These, these are there's some highly, highly detailed analytics which goes behind this into selecting these players for uh, Liverpool. Um, that's one thing. Um, the other thing, uh, and there's another team which does this very well, and that's Brentford uh, in the championship. Now, uh, Brentford, um, for those of you who don't know, ha- reached the playoffs last year while operating in a budget, a player budget, uh, sorry, a player salary budget of 60% less than average. And if you want to compare that to Fulham, which got promoted, it's astronomical the difference. And it's really um, amazing how they were able to do it, how they were able to uh, come to the playoffs. And um, one thing which both Brentford and Liverpool do extremely well is that they sell their overvalued player to reinvest in their existing squad. Um, Brentford, I think if you look at the top 10 signings from the last few years, um, people like Esri Konsa, people like Basham, people like Mope, Pendrama, um, even, they had an initial outlay of about 12.5 million on these set of 10 to 12 players. And they've recuperated 106 million, right? So that enables them to reinvest into the squad and make sure they stay competitive. And you can see Liverpool, right? They, they're top performers at one stage, people like Suarez. You would think it's suicide, you know, for a club who's trying to go to the next level, selling a Suarez, selling a Coutinho, even selling a Sterling for that matter. You would think that's suicide. But that that is what they do. They see the players who are overperforming in terms of their market value and they're they're not scared to sell it and reinvest into their squad. And again, they're able to do this because they have such a strong analytics team and they're able to um, use the player performance metrics, which Vaishnav covered a little bit earlier to really identify the best people to fit their specific system and, and not just good players, but players good for their system. And they have a really good knack of uh, risk management, right? So when they sp- spend a large amount of cash, it's because they're very, very sure that that player is going to be a good fit. Whereas if they spend a small amount of money, uh, if, they, if they take a risk, it's only for a small amount of money. So if someone like a Simiskas or a Minamino, they don't spend a lot of money over there, but if it pays off, it's a huge boost, which is what happened with Robertson, to be frank. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a combination of all of these things which make them such a force to deal with in the analytics side of the game.
1: Oh, but Just before you say something, uh, I just want to add to this point of uh, the Liverpool scouting system. Uh, uh, for those of you who don't know the name Michael Edwards, he's the one who's spearheading uh, uh, the, the Liverpool Football Club. He's the director of football, director of operations, whatever you call it. And in fact, uh, he is so data-driven that um, they use data to actually make Klopp the manager. They had the choice of Carlo Ancelotti, Mauricio Ponchettino, or Jürgen Klopp. And he went for Jürgen Klopp. And then from then on, it's just been a very data-driven football club. Um, when Akshat spoke about the recruitment, um, just a little a deeper dive into that. What basically happens is that they have a scouting network of about 14-15 scouts. Um, An average big club like Manchester United has about 80 scouts. Okay, so these guys have their work cut out for them. They don't get into any scouting meetings at all. Um, These scouts go, they have maybe two or three regions that they have to handle. Now, the important uh, factor here is that the scouts have to make their decisions based on a certain set of data and categorize players into grade A, B, C, and D. Grade A being that this particular player who they've scouted is ready to replace anyone from the current Liverpool playing 11. So, that rarely happens. It's happened only twice so far with Virgil van Dijk and with Allison. And then B is someone who can add to the squad. C is someone who they should look out for. And D is someone that they don't have to further continue scouting. And most of Liverpool's database is filled with the D players. So, the way that they make sure that it's a perfect recruitment is not by looking at one player, but looking at, say, 100 and eliminating 99 of them. And that's how they get to that one perfect signing, right? And it is all data driven.
0: Ahmad, that was really fascinating. I mean, it, it, it's like right out of football manager or something like that. But what I wanted to add was looking at Liverpool and looking at Brentford, it really hurts, man. Because like Arsenal bought a, a, stat, a statistical company in 2014 called StatDNA, acquired it for $2 million. And I mean, that was the, as fans' perception was, that was the start of something new and this, like uh, the, one of the most prominent signings out of that came out of that uh, stat driven analysis i don't like i don't know if you guys know this it was Granit Xhaka. so wow. <laughs> <laughs> really it was Granit Xhaka. and and <laughs> recently they've even gone to fire the analyst uh, analysts who worked uh, like for start dna in arsenal so i don't even know where the club is going right now but like the way, like listening to the way liverpool have done it that should have been the ideal way of doing it i'd say
1: yeah. Um. Coming back to uh, more statistics on the game, uh, Vaishnav, you spoke a lot about XG, and uh, I want to ask you: Do you really think it's what uh, decides the game at the end of the day? Um. I I brought this up before as well, but uh, that Winston Company shot uh, against Leicester that won them the title um, two seasons ago. Um. In your opinion, what do you think would have been the
2: XG of that just before he took that shot on? I don't know. Point 0.1, point 0.2, probably, you know, honestly, if you, so XG is based on historical data sets, right? It's basically, uh, how many people from this position did that, right? But we like stat DNA, stats, bomb, opt, are lots of proprietary blends, so to speak proprietary technology out there, where they're using different variables. So maybe if there was a actual variable of Sort of quality of player who took the shot, meaning that maybe a striker has a higher xG than a centre back. Then you, I don't even know where that xG goes, right? Because company takes that shot from twenty-five yards out. So does that even count as xG? I mean, partly the beauty of football is that you can't quantify, man. You you just can't. For me, that's why it is such a complicated game. Because I was listening to a podcast for one and a half hours that compared football to chess, and. They were talking about, uh, I forget the IBM supercomputer's name who beat uh, Kasparov, but they were talking about how many computations at that, that computer, Big Blue or something like that? Yeah. Deep Blue, no, I think. Deep Blue. That,
0: yeah. <laughs> Big Blue. <laughs> Lord. <Yeah. laughs>
2: That's like <laughs> Oswald, <awesome>, bro. <laughs> okay. You know what? Uh, shit, I lost my train of thought. But basically, they were comparing how, you know, how if it was possible, sort of a thought experiment to come up with an algorithm or some sort of computer program that could predict events in a football game. Because XG is reflective and not predictive, right? XG is telling you what had happened and not what will happen. So they were going down the path of, it's a superb Uh, podcast by the way listeners you should get onto the t4 bandwagon because uh this pod is essentially athletic and t4 regurgitated content right (laughs) like that's all that's all it is man (laughs) it's just supremely good don't let out trade secrets dude (laughs) (laughs) supremely good sources dude you guys can do this too (laughs) but like yeah so what he said which is super fascinating to me was uh Essentially, what they're talking about, if there was a model of statistics that could sort of predict what happens in a football game, meaning that uh, from this event to this event to this event to this event, what is the likelihood that this might happen? Meaning that from the first pass and a goal kick, based on all variables in the football pitch, you would know the likelihood of a goal. Now, this sounds like insanely, you know, extrapolated. But I mean... He was talking about how every three moves or something in a chess in, or the first three moves in a chess game give you 9 million or 9 billion such permutations of what can happen after. And he was saying that, so they are talking about how if you extrapolate the same logic to a football game, how many permutations are you getting now? Right? Like, I can't even begin to think, of it. I think you're variables for a shot, but imagine, so XA, right, which is such a weird stat as it is, is not about is not derived from xg which means that it doesn't matter what happens after the pass the idea is where the pass happened so a pass across the back line meaning between the goalkeeper and the defense if there's no one there still has a higher xa because it's a good pass right if there is someone in that position they tap it in whereas if i'm playing in midfield with amar and i just roll the ball over to him like two yards to the right and he just absolutely rockets it from 30 yards out That's not a high XA, this thing, right? Even though that goal is the same quality. Sorry, this has the same impact on the scoreline as the tap-in did. But assists are not equal. And therefore, you want to quantify what assist is better than the other assist. So, I mean, XG is super useful. I still think it's one of the more useful stats in football. But just for like maybe 10, 15 different things, right? I don't care about XG if I want to track how much a team is pressing. XG does not matter to me. I and I honestly don't look at XG as an indicator of, as to who played better because Akshat brought up a beautiful point. Why would you want a high XG after you've scored the first couple of goals? That's not my my prerogative now is to defend the two goals I've scored or one goal that I've scored. So I'm just by the fact of that not going to play as aggressively and as expansively. So. XG does have a lot of weight. It has a lot of value. But I feel like it's become overhyped just like uh, possession stats are. Because what does possession do for you, right? It doesn't do much.
1: Yeah. Um, some some really cool points there. And uh, just to kind of close, I think we've seen uh, data being used in, in a variety of ways, right? But uh, I want to talk a little bit about training sessions as well. I mean, we're seeing these uh, performance belts. What are they called again, Vaishnath?
2: just wearable technology Yeah,
1: man. wearable technology where um, and the players go out.
2: the the fancy sports bras
1: they go out they do their training they come back and immediately all of the data is available to the manager and the analyst to see the kind of performance that
2: it's super cool man they are able to track injuries months before it happens they are able to track muscle imbalances before the athlete knows the muscle imbalances has happened they will tell someone like Aryan robin the Ferocious winger had this notorious hamstring problem, right? I don't know if you guys would remember, but every couple of seasons he was out for at least two to three months with a massive hamstring problem, and that was because he had this sort of—it's I don't know if it's a genetic thing, but it's essentially an IT band issue with his quads, which are in the front of the leg, right? Your quadriceps, and the reason that his hamstrings were getting hampered is because his quadriceps had too much tension between the IT band on the hip that inserted there and on the knee, which meant that his—you ha- can imagine that his hamstrings was like a wet cloth that was just being pulled, 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 pulled pulled as far as it could because of the tension. And because of explosive work like sprints, it just rips, right? And that because of his knee, essentially, his hamstring would go. So I mean, this is something that they knew 10 years ago. So imagine how far they've gone now, you're able to tell so many different parameters. It's, it's absolutely overwhelming. And it's, it's insane. I wish I remember the example of
3: who it was, but there was this case where Basically, they they were measuring um, the amount of one particular uh, chemical uh, in the
2: bloodstream of a player, right? Probably Uh, cortisol or lactic acid or something, probably.
3: One of those, one of those. And they were able to find out that the reason the player was getting more and more injuries or was not at the full fitness was because he was not generating enough of one particular compound which is what happens when you fall asleep. So they were able to tell the player that, listen, you're not sleeping enough. If you sleep for two hours extra, your fitness is going to improve by X amount. So I'll try to find out who that was, but I mean,
2: it's just mind-boggling it's to think
3: of, you know, it's um, it, what you can actually do with the amount of data. So. It's
2: I mean, if you think of how the evolution has gone, like Arsene Wenger came in and said, stop drinking tea with milk, guys, start drinking green tea, because like, what are you guys doing? You're supposed to play a football game. No, it's just stupid. And everyone in the UK was like, wait, what? Tea without milk? What's happening here? So that was a culture shift. And now from that, it's gone to pasta, veggies and your base heart rate. Like, I know when I want you to be in different zones of heart rate, because I don't know if you guys watch the insider training videos on YouTube. They are super cool. Liverpool do these beep tests and we know Miller is a machine and you realize, so a beep test is essentially, you have a certain amount of area that you have to run and you have to run to a beep and the beeps get progressively faster. So you don't know how fast you have to run. You're just going full tilt each time, right? And you're going to a rhythm. So not full tilt. You're probably going from 50% to hundred percent and then above. And these people are measuring lactic acid buildup in the blood. It was like three guys. And Milner is obviously the oldest by far. So I don't think it was Genie. I'm pretty sure it was Keta. But Milner's the oldest by far. And you can see them doing the beep test. And you can see readings of the lactic acid buildup. And Milner's is not even reading on that. And then this guy is just blasting through it. He's blasting through it. And at the end of each lap, all three of them are coming to the corner to get rehydrated. They're getting fluids and stuff from the staff. Miller's just holding the bottle and spraying it on his face while the other two are like chugging water and on their <laughs> knees and Milner's just standing up like, boys, let's go get some work done. And so it's, it's so cool to see that because like I'm sure he's, you know, these guys who are on the cutting edge of their sport, I'm getting a cramp right now. Wow. These guys who are on the cutting edge of their sport, to see them use this technology and take their game to the next level, like I don't think Cristiano lasts as long as he has at this higher level without numbers. I honestly think he probably... Is using numbers incredibly well, right? Just in terms of how he's refined his game. It's, it's just so cool, dude. Wearable tech is just the coolest thing ever. It's like... It's space-age technology, but for dudes who are kicking a football around, it's just so
1: cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, just one, one word answer, guys. Uh, I'm gonna ask you the question that I asked at the beginning. Is
2: football a simple game that's getting too complicated? Vaishnav? It's not a simple game. I don't think it's a simple That's
1: game. That's a no from Aisha, What about
2: 4? What about <laughs> no. No. Not at all. Wait, wait. It's not
0: getting over complicated? No, as in it's not a simple game at all. No matter what, like, no. Thanks, man. <laughs> Funk you, Omar.
1: So, you guys are saying that we just recorded this podcast on the wrong premise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, I can't say yes to that answer because, like, my team's been consecutively losing for, like, week in and week out. Like, so, I have to say it is a complicated game at this point. <laughs> <laughs> the
2: complicated relationship, bro, is not a complicated game. Bro, I think the thing is with at least both our teams, uh, it's not that complicated as to why they lose. They're just shite. So (laughs) there's not much complexity there, right? I mean, if you're- If only you could (laughs) quantitatively say how shite we are. (laughs) Some metric for that. (laughs) I don't think you can. That was another thing actually, another cool metric is expected points. That is a pretty cool metric because it's sort of an uh, analysis of how the entire team is done and stuff like that. So how, how many points you would get from a performance with these metrics in it. And it was super interesting to see, obviously United, we've been awarded penalties after the full-time whistle. So our expected points are much lower than the actual total. But it was insane because our actual points were way higher on the graph than our expected points, which shows you how bad we've been this season.
0: But Vaishnav, I think the expected points thing is like taken over the entire like period of the season, right? And xg has a very high influence on in how much right. like on the expected points i think like the the base metric to calculate those calculate those expected points comes from xg right. so i think it's kind of flawed though in that sense because it doesn't take into right. account everything else
3: yeah, yeah
0: but Expected
3: points, if if I remember correctly, it also takes into account things like you know, uh, if you fall behind, you're not likely to get three points from that game. Right. Whereas United are like you know, right. okay, yeah, when two goals down, that's when the game starts, right? So, I mean, yeah, no, after final whistle, we get a couple of pens.
2: we're, we're all sorted. is it all? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, ex- expected points shows Arsenal as a bang average mid-table team, and that's exactly where we are. So, <laughs>
1: lower mid-table though, that's lower
0: mid. Fuck you.
2: Man, stop it, bro. We'll be there this time next month. Just stop it.
1: Yeah, guys. And that's pretty much all we had to say. Um, Please let us know your thoughts if you like this podcast or not. Please follow us on our page uh, on Instagram called Panditri on a Pine. And uh, share this podcast with your loved ones, friends and your football mates. Thank you so much for listening, guys.